Welcome back to the show. Well, the Fraser Valley is one of the fastest-growing regions uh, in BC. Uh, it uh, by 2050, it will be home to over 500,000 people. That's about a 48% growth over its current population. It's home to 17,000 businesses, uh, and it's been a busy year uh, in that part of Metro Vancouver. And I thought we'd do a, a year in review. And one of the areas I think we need to be focusing on more and more is uh, the Fraser Valley, not only because of housing, but because of so many other regions. It's got interesting businesses that open up in that area, uh, and it's so vital to, to the economic, economy of the uh, Metro Vancouver area, but also it's where people live and play as well. But joining me now to talk a little bit about the year in review for the Fraser Valley is Tyler Olson, who's the editor for the Fraser Valley Current. Tyler, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Lots to talk about for the area, and every time I go out to the Fraser Valley, I'm always amazed at something new popping up and and, and all of that. So before we get to the housing issue, uh, let's talk about just driving out to um, uh, to the Fraser Valley, and that, of course, would be the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, I know there was a, a new phase of uh, the Trans-Canada expansion announced by the provincial government. Uh, I think it was a $2.3 billion project, and we forget sometimes that on that very highway corridor, $65 billion in goods uh, goods traveled through that area. Walk me through what this new announcement will mean uh, for the for the uh, Fraser Valley. Yeah, so what the province has promised was, and they prom- the NDP promised this when they ran for election in 2017, was to widen the highway. And so we have more details uh, this year about what exactly that will look like, and that will be um, up to five lanes in each direction, between uh, the Vedder Canal and between Chilliwack and Abbotsford and uh, Langley and places uh, to the west. Mm -hmm. So on those five lanes, you'll have, um, I think, one more lane for dedicated to average travel and then an HOV lane, a truck lane, and potentially a bus on shoulder lane that would accommodate rapid transit uh, on buses uh, throughout the valley. And I'm, I'm going to assume that that uh, that's something residents, of course, pretty much want. I mean, the argument is probably is why hasn't it been done already? Yeah, I think you talk to anybody, mo- most people out here, and they'll they'll say that the highway needs to be widened. And of course, there's the other argument that some people will say that money would be better spent on transit. But even among many transit users out here, the the ability to get in and out of the, uh, Vancouver is really important. And there's also just, the, as you mentioned, the importance for uh, goods and services to move on that corridor. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you expect, I mean, this is a tough one to answer, do you ever expect SkyTrain to come out to Abbotsford in your lifetime? In our lifetime, yeah. uh, probably not. But there's a it's it's already getting to Langley City, and then the case to get beyond that is becomes a business uh, case and also a politics case. The the valley is suddenly a lot more politically uh, less certain than it ever was, and suddenly there's a maybe a political incentive to move it out towards the Abbotsford and Chilliwack area where votes are suddenly more precious and and more competitive than they once were. So 
I wouldn't expect it anytime soon, but I imagine it's on somebody's long-term radar. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look at it now. Once they complete the uh, the Surrey Langley expansion to Langley City, you've always thought moving it up to 200th Street, and you've got that big movie theater out there right on the highway at 200th and Highway 1. It's got a massive parking lot that generally sits empty most of the time. I always thought that would be a great place for a park and ride and put a station there. At least get it to the highway and people can park and ride and, and then decide if they want to come into to, uh, the city uh, that way. But that's we'll leave that conversation for another day. That's uh, a bit of spitballing. You mentioned um, the issue of, of just politics and, and things changing. Now, uh, pol- part of the politics in that area is that that area generally has voted uh, BC United or BC Liberal in the past, but things have changed since 2020. Give me a sense of what you're seeing, hearing, feeling in regards to politics. A tough one to answer, but uh, we got a provincial election next year. What are you hearing? Yeah, well, this is all tied into the fact that, as you mentioned, the, the area is growing incredibly fast, and a lot of those new um, arrivals are from places that have a, uh, traditionally voted for maybe the Liberal and the NT, NDP versus the conservative uh, and right-leaning parties that have dominated the valley for so long. So all of those people are shifting the balance of power and making it more likely for um, other parties to win in, in 2020, 2021, whenever we had that last provincial election, Chilliwack's two provincial ridings both went to the NDP, and we saw an Abbotsford one going to the NDP as well. And obviously with the uh, struggles of BC United and the rise of the BC Conservative Party, there uh, it's, it's really up in the air what it will look like next time. The, the split of the parties will help the NDP like it will help um, the party everywhere in BC and and it could really reshape kind of the map again uh, in terms of that. And and then just everything is really tied into the fact that so many people have been moving to the Valley and the house prices too, right? Because Mm -hmm. lots of people are moving out here because the prices are comparatively so much cheaper than to the, to the West in Vancouver. And so all that reshapes a whole number of issues, including transportation, politics, and, and more. Uh, now, before we get to the housing issue, you had mentioned just folks more leaning to, vo- to voting NDP or centre-left uh, or uh, federal liberal. I- is it just a large South Asian population or are you just finding young people um, you know, wanting parties that focus more on daycare? It's got to be a little of it, all of it, isn't it? It's immigration plus just you know, native-born Canadians just moving out there to to buy a home, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's definitely all of those factors. You have a larger South Asian population in Chilliwack, significantly more than just five years ago. You have um, people who, um, just from all walks of life, are moving not only from Vancouver to Langley, and then Langley people to move to Vancouver, and 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 Abbotsford, or Langley people move to Abbotsford, and the Abbotsford people move out to Chilliwack, and it all knocks on to one another. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of young families seeking out homes in the Chilliwack and Abbotsford area where they might be able to actually find a single-family home with a backyard, which is uh, particularly important if you have young kids. And and those factors all, all play into just, I think, um, making the the politics less, polarized maybe in, in, in some way in the valley and and more uh, focused on some issues that are um, just relevant to the average person in terms of house prices and that sort of thing. 
Hey, welcome back to the show. If you're just joining us, uh, we're speaking to Tyler Olson. He's the editor of the Fraser Valley Current, a great newsletter, by the way. I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, it's part of our year in review series, and today we're focusing on the Fraser Valley. Um, Tyler, let's talk a little bit about housing, because so much of, of uh, what drives growth is housing, the type of housing that's available. There's no doubt uh, people are very much interested in moving to the valley because of uh, affordable housing compared to some of the uh, areas in Vancouver, that's for sure. Um, give me a sense of the type of housing you're building out there and the type of growth that you're seeing. Yeah, I think lots of people still have the conception that the Fraser Valley is dominated by single-family homes, and that's because that's true. Um, but the actual way or the type of homes, new homes that are being built across the valley has really shifted just as it's shifted everywhere. In Abbotsford and Chilliwack, it, it's probably about 20% of new homes built are single-family homes, and the rest are a split between apartments and townhouses, with most of them being apartments. The same is true in Mission. And in Langley, that community is built, or the township of Langley, so the area around the city, has built some of the, the, the highest number of new homes have gone up there than anywhere else in the province. They've added the scale of growth there is pretty remarkable to behold. And to actually drive through, you're driving through new neighborhoods each, uh, each year. So it's, it's growing at a rapid pace, and it's really going to change the the way that the communities feel and the and the places that people live and and the type of housing that is available to people. Mm. And in regards to the new housing rules that have been introduced, in regards to density, uh, how much of an impact do you see that having, uh, especially in and around transit? Does that change the face of the community potentially? Potentially, the biggest changes really are going to be the the changes that st- that require um, municipalities to approve apartments in certain areas and not require parking in those areas. But in places like Mission and and Chilliwack and even parts of downtown Abbotsford, some of the rules are still already permit the sorts of density that the province wants to see some of the barriers are just are just those parking uh rules and then some of the barriers have just been the deva on getting approvals and and smoothing the bureaucracy a little bit of the process that can kind of hold up those developments hmm. how long have you lived out in that area about a decade a, decade. a little more than a decade and what's it like i mean what, what you know when people think of you know uh, having fun people think go think of potentially going downtown for restaurants concerts all those types of things but i've always found suburbs are increasingly a great place for a friday saturday night with friends you don't necessarily need to be going to downtown uh, how would you describe the valley in in regards to just uh, opportunities for entertainment opportunities to spend some of um, your dollars and enjoy yourself yeah i think that's a still a, it's still a struggle that the valley is wrestling with in trying to find a balance that appeals to younger younger people and then while also making kind of use and and embracing the type of uh community level older dad type of not older dad but like younger parents um lifestyle that i think it's known for and it, it works well for there's so many recreational amenities in the area there's a huge number of trails the mountain bike community is massive and the mountain bike infrastructure is massive and growing all the time and that's really where a lot of the recreation and 
and time is spent. And so trying to find a way to bridge those two and then create communities where people don't have to have a car to still have fun mm-hmm. is, is really a challenge a lot of the communities are facing. Now, we can't end this uh, uh, conversation without talking about the atmospheric river that had such a huge impact uh, on Abbotsford and Chilliwack as well. Walk me through uh, what you have seen being done in that community since then uh, in regards to flood mitigation, potential um, infrastructure being built or talked about or discussed in, in regards to being built. Give me a sense of where we're at in regards to just future flood mitigation. Right. A lot of the, that work, a lot of the small-scale work has been done now. The, the easy wins, the um, quick improvements to certain dikes, the dredging of certain waterways to just provide more capacity and decrease the the scale of, and likelihood of a few, future large flood. But those are often and usually very small wins in the grand scheme of things. Actually, um, reconfiguring flood protections and just how we uh, exist with the, the rivers in the region is something that's going to take years and years and decades. And there's been some proposals um, out there, but they've gone to government and they'll look at those six ways to Sunday and somebody will make a funding announcement at some point and then who knows how long that'll all take. I think one other thing to remember is that up in the Fraser Canyon, just kind of on our, our edge, there's also been large effects from, from fires. And somebody asked me today how many buildings have been rebuilt in Lytton, and I had to say none. Uh, there's one house under construction, but that still struggles. So it just shows kind of the difficulties that actually rebuilding after a disaster can be. There's going to be obviously some conversation, probably is already obviously, in regards to how our neighbours to the south uh, handle uh, the river on that side. Uh, Are those conversations ongoing as well in regards to just making sure we don't see something like this, or at least we're prepared next time? Yeah, those conversations always happen, and the problem there is it's kind of a you can't have a win-win situation almost <laughs> with regards to that river. You have, they have kind of the power to decide where it goes, and Canada has to try and work within those and, and maybe work with them on notification systems and, and some of the small-scale stuff they can do while just understanding that reality means that they, the, the Americans are going to look at the Nooksack and say it's either going to flood you or it's going to flood us, and our voters would rather flood you sometimes. Um, final question. I mean, the for, in regards to flood mitigation, you literally need to spend billions of dollars to shore up our diking system uh, in that area, but also in communities like Richmond and Delta. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, do you see the commitment there? I mean, it, it's going to take billions and the will has to be there and you've got to explain it to taxpayers that this has to be done or we're going to see more of this. Or is, is the conversation there where you can actually have an honest conversation with voters and say this is going to be done, it has to be done and we're going to pay for it? It might be there, but it's kind of a political question because it's always, and this is the problem with any emergency preparedness thing, it's always something you can kick down the road four more years and another four more years. And the further you kick it down the road, the less public pressure there is to actually do something. When there's the less memories you have as a politician about why you need to be doing it. So it's kind of you're dealing with human nature there, and I think something will be done, but there's you still need to first put in place a plan and process to decide which programs get built first and then how to actually find the money to deal with that. Tyler, we've run out of time. As always, thank you so much. Merry Christmas to you. Thanks for having me, Jess. 